Praise God, everybody. It's time for another study in the book of Revelation. Praise the Lord. I, I have been enjoying uh, studying this book together with you, reading the Scripture together and touching on some high points. Again, let me say what I've been saying all along. There's a lot of stuff that we're not able to cover in the time frame that we have. So we're just reading the, the verses in sections and then we're touching on the high points of those sections. I would encourage you, as always, to uh, find some reputable teachers uh, out there. We'll do our best. Uh, we, can, we can help you find some through email or uh, whatever the case might be. Not so much here over the show, because I'll be honest with you, my mind is on teaching the material. So a lot of, for me to call up names, it's just not in my head right now, okay? I'm, I'm trying to concentrate on what I'm going to say about each section uh, of these scriptures. But uh, again, I will mention a few that we stand in support of. Uh, we, we support Perry Stone's teaching. We support and we love Pastor Jack Hibbs, Amir Safardi. Uh, we also really love David Reagan. And, you know, this does not imply 100% agreement on every issue, okay? So don't be afraid to say that you like somebody's teaching. Uh, that, that might mean you might agree with them on every single thing. That's, that's just not even what we're after at all. We're after sound biblical teachers. And we need to hear the opinions of our brethren and our sisterin who have proven track records and they may differ there's a lot of differing opinions in this uh the area of bible prophecy and that's good it causes us to think it causes us to study and so there's so many greg laurie another one that we really enjoy uh jack van empey of course and and our condolences to the family and friends and supporters of dr jack he passed on uh, to be with the Lord. He was 88 years old, and he died in the month of January here in 2020. Uh, but the material is still just amazing. And avail yourself of people who are sound in theology. And so if we don't agree on every little non-essential matter, we will agree on the essentials of the faith, and that is what is important. So... Uh, from time to time, I'll try to throw some names at you, but it's best if you would send us an email at the office and give us three or four days to get to it. But we will answer you back with some names of people that we we study behind and that you uh, can feel comfortable. You, you have to use your own spirit. You have to be led of the Holy Spirit yourself, and you have to use your head. So we, we study behind some people, but we don't accept necessarily everything they say. We accept what is said that we feel is biblical. No, none of us know it all. I mean, <laughs> if you find some guy who's saying he knows everything about it, I'd run from that fellow. Because I'll be the first one to tell you that I am learning every day new things from the Bible. I, you're never going to know it all. I believe personally we'll be receiving impartations from the Lord Jesus all the way through eternity. It's so vast. It's so deep. It's so uh, it's it's the largesse of the universe of God and the knowledge of God we can't comprehend. 
but we have to be straight on the essentials of the faith. And I will be doing a series on that uh, in the near future. But for now, we want to start reading Revelation chapter 14. <clears throat> I may try to go through 14 and 15 both today. We'll see how that goes. But in Revelation uh, 14 verses 1 through 5, here's what the Scripture says. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Now, let's pause right there a moment. And you remember in the early, the first chapter of Revelation, we saw the four beasts in heaven. Let me just say that these are not the same beasts we just read about in chapter 13. These are the living creatures. In, in, in this case, that word beast could have been translated living creatures, but they are the, the seraphim and the cherubim before the throne of God, and these are heavenly beasts. Whereas in chapter 13 of Revelation, we saw demonic beasts, namely the Antichrist and the false prophet. Okay? These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. Okay, so let me, uh, let me say something about that there. That is not saying that in order to be a Christian, you have to be a, a virgin. We'd all go to hell, amen? I mean, I'm, I'm married and, and have had relations with my wife, you know? Uh, and God is clear upon that, that marriage is a man, a woman, forever. And uh, so... It never changes in that direction. But what this is saying here is that there is a group of people. In this time frame, what time frame? Great tribulation period that are virgins. Okay? So we got to have that clear. And don't read into it anything that's not there. It can also mean that they received the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ. Christ. Because we will read later on in the book of Revelation, there is a great whore that rides the beast. And that symbolizes false doctrine, false religion. Anything that's not Jesus Christ and Him crucified is false religion. Okay? So I just want to throw that in there. Let's finish reading. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. That's important. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And of course, we, we are without fault by virtue of the blood that Jesus shed. And if we've received that and allowed the Holy Spirit to appropriate that to our lives, then we are, in God's eyes, without fault because we are washed in Jesus' blood. Praise God. Uh, 
this is taking place between the seventh trumpet and the end of the great tribulation so that's where we are in those series of trumpets that we started out with the lamb is on mount zion with the 144,000 that we read about in chapter 12. in this passage it's clear that the man child is before the throne of heaven the 144,000 no longer on earth so they there is a rapture of the 144,000 also. We have, the church is raptured before the Great Tribulation, which we discussed in Revelation chapter 4. And here we see 144,000 Jews that were evangelizing the world will be raptured as well. We see them here before the throne of God. Praise the Lamb forever. Amen. God is taking His people and getting us ready for these great events. So then in Revelation 14 verses 6 through 7, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. Okay, so here we see it. After the rapture of the church, we first have 144,000 Jewish people preaching the gospel of Christ. After they are raptured, here we see angels flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So this first messenger angel flies through the midst of heaven to preach the everlasting gospel to them that are on the earth. His message basically embracing three things. Fear God. Give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. And thirdly, to worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of the waters. This is especially important because it will be declared right after the rise of the beast. The one out of the sea and the other out of the earth. It will serve to cancel the misleading messages of the two beasts. Several counteractions will be used, namely the ministry of the two witnesses the multitude of saints who will be saved after the rapture and experience great power, also the Jewish people, the Holy Spirit who will continue to work in the lives of people, the judgments of God will also serve, and the appearance of these angels with their message. So you have all that going on to counteract whatever the Antichrist and the false prophet are proclaiming. You'll have all this going on. There'll be judgments of God falling on the earth. There will be a multitude of people who have gotten saved during this time. There will be the two witnesses. We'll discuss that. Um, the Holy Spirit. Some people preach and teach that the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the world. We do not believe that. Because the Bible says that no man calleth Jesus Lord except by the Holy Ghost. And in the book of Revelation, you can clearly see that people are being preached to and people are coming to Christ still during that time frame and they cannot do it without the Holy Ghost. We believe what will be taken out of the world, I, I believe it's in 2 Thessalonians where it says, He that letteth will let 
until he be taken out of the way. And some people think that's the Holy Spirit. I believe that's the church. The Holy Spirit stays the church raptured. And then we just saw it, 144,000 Jewish evangelists raptured. And then when that takes place, the angels begin to preach the gospel. And also God has people on the earth that will share the truth with others. So these messages are going to go right in, in the face. I mean right in the face of Satan's deceptions during this time. The main essence of the eternal message is that God is the creator and that he alone is to be feared and worshipped. We are created for God's glory. We are to give glory to him. He's the final authority. He is the judge over all. The gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to all creatures and it will continue to be preached all throughout the future. The gospel will be good news to those who are being oppressed at this time by the Antichrist. And so they will many will receive Christ. Many will pay with their lives for doing so as well. An angel flying through the air with this very significant message will be a phenomenal occurrence and undoubtedly receive much attention. Millions of people will see and hear this event simply because of the great news networks like CNN and Fox News and NBC and CBS and ABC will have their cameras heavenward during the time of the Great Tribulation. Um, let's read the messenger angel here in Revelation 14 and 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So here we see another angel flying in the mid-heaven. I'll just briefly tell you, the Bible speaks of three heavens. There's the heaven uh, to the top of the mountains is about 6,000 feet. That's about where Jesus will come back for his saints. Then there is the atmospheric heaven above where uh, demon spirits are battling the forces of God, uh, the, the, the principalities and the powers and so on and so forth. And then there is the third heaven, the heaven of heavens. So we have one here flying in mid-heaven. I would take that to mean about the heights of the mountains. And he has a second message, the declaration of the fall of a literal... And I'm going to say also symbolic Babylon. Okay. So this great city will be destroyed under the seventh vial at the end of the week. The end of the tribulation. Revelation 16, 17 through 21. And Revelation 18, 1 through 24. In keeping with God's approach for any city or nation. And see here's what I mean by it would take a, a whole lesson to... Look at all the scriptures in the Bible, how God dealt with cities and with nations. And we can't do that in this study. He warns of impending judgment before it comes. So God always warns. God just doesn't bring that judgment without first warning that it's coming. Opportunity is always given for repentance. That judgment may be averted. And this announcement will be given to literal Babylon in chapters 17 and 18. Uh, and in those chapters, we will point out the difference between the two Babylons mentioned here in the book of Revelation. But let me say this also at this point. Just as we told you in, in our time of studying the book of Revelation, 
that the spirit of Antichrist, again, not the man, but the spirit, has been in the earth always. Really, always. I mean, you can see it between Cain and Abel. You can see it, uh, you know, Jacob and Esau. You can see it all through Isaac and Ishmael. You can see it all through the Bible, right? All through time it's been here. The Apostle John said it was active in the early church. The spirit of Antichrist, not the man. And just as that is true, there's also spirits, principalities, and powers that have governed the major empires of prophecy. And those spirits are also still active in the world. The, the spirit that dominated the Babylonian Empire is still in existence. The spirit that dominated Medo-Persia. The spirit that dominated Greece. The spirit that dominated the old Roman Empire. And so we see that there, there is a symbolic Babylon. Babylon, in Daniel's image in chapter 2, was the head of gold. And so many Bible prophecy experts equate this even to Wall Street in America. The love of that gold. And every nation has it. Not just America, but every nation, every man who is unredeemed, loves the things of this world. But in one hour, Babylon will fall. And in one hour, men will realize that nothing they've ever trusted in outside of Jesus Christ can benefit them at all. Not now. We are at the time of the judgment of God here in Revelation chapter 14. Let's keep reading. And we will point out some of this stuff when we get to uh, a few chapters ahead here. So Revelation 14, 9 through 12. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same, the person who receives the mark of the beast and his image, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Let me say this about without mixture. There are some things that you and I do that make God angry. However, we are in the dispensation of grace, and as His child, He isn't angry in the sense of destruction. He is not angry, uh, He is not interested in pouring out His wrath upon His children. Okay, that's why I, I don't believe that the church will be here during the Great Tribulation. There will be a church here that got saved during the tribulation, but he will pull us out of here before then. So there's a difference. I want you to understand this. When it says without mixture, God is like completely in wrath and anger at the Antichrist and the false prophet and those who have taken the mark. Those who follow the Antichrist and the false prophet. Here's a time where God's without mixture, the cup of His indignation. And see, we have the ability right now, <clears throat> if we really mess up, we can repent and be truly sorry in our heart for what we have done. And God might have been offended by what we did. He might have been angry 
by what he did, but he doesn't pour out a cup of his wrath on us. Christian, you've got to understand that because you've sinned, that doesn't mean that because you've sinned, God's going to let you get cancer. Or because you've sinned, God's going to let you go through hard, hard, hard times. Now, sin can cause things, yes, but it's not God pouring out His wrath upon you. You know, a lot, I've heard this over and over in my life when somebody would say that, well, you know, so-and-so is sick. And somebody would say, well, what did they do to sin against God? And they automatically equate a person's sickness with the fact that they must have committed a sin. Not necessarily. We live in a fallen planet and things happen. Somebody in the family could have sinned. A parent. And some malady comes down to the child. Or it could simply be genetic. Because, and this is a, this is a really a rabbit trail, so Lord help me, don't get off too far on it, but... Do you realize that since the fall in the garden in the very beginning that man's DNA has been corrupted? The only thing, that's why the, the Bible calls it, I believe that's why the Bible calls it when we come to Christ, regeneration. We're regened. Because of that seed of sin, because of that sinful nature. And mankind's DNA today is not what it was in Adam because Adam fell. And so there are sicknesses that come to good Christian people that love God, that obey God, that serve God. There's nothing wrong with them. They didn't necessarily do anything wrong. But we live on a fallen planet. We live with the tangled vines of the fall entangled around us. And the Holy Spirit, when we give our hearts to Christ, the Holy Spirit is working to take us out of those vines, take us out of that entanglement. And in our flesh, we face those issues. But God does not pour out His wrath on His children. God is not the author of sickness and disease. And we're going to leave that Right there for a moment, okay? I guess what I wanted to make sure you get, though, is that if something's bad going on in your life, it doesn't mean that God is punishing you or that God is against you. We live on a fallen planet that cries out for the redemption. It cries out for the... The book of Romans says it cries for the manifestation of the sons of God. He cries for that day when we will be glorified in His presence and we will rule and reign with Him. And then, as we shall see when we get to that point in our study, sickness and disease will be defeated. Death will be defeated. The enemy is defeated. And we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. So, this without mixture poured into the cup of His indignation this is for the, the people who worship the beast in his image and receive his mark. And he shall be tormented also with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God 
and the faith of Jesus. And we're going to touch on that a little bit more here in just a minute. This is the third angel flying through the heavens with a message during the Great Tribulation. And this announcement is that anyone worshiping the beast and his image or receiving the mark will be doomed to the eternal torment of fire and brimstone. This Christian friend of mine today is yet another reason why you should get up and get out of your house and get to the church, a Bible-believing church that's preaching the Word of God. You should get up and get out of your house and go meet people and testify and witness to them about Jesus Christ. I can assure you of one thing. You do not have your little old thing going on with just you and Jesus. Nowhere will you find that in the Bible. Jesus is about community. He is about his church. And he wants us to collectively be a witness in this generation for Jesus Christ because these terrible things are directly ahead in the future. And we must at least warn men. When I say men, I'm talking about women too, mankind, humanity, however you want it to phrase. But we are responsible during our lifetimes to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not necessarily you stand behind a pulpit and become a, a preacher, a speaker, but you are responsible to get out, get out of your comfort zone, <clears throat> get out of your house where you control everything that goes on, and get out there and get in church. Stop all this foolishness about not... I mean, for years and years and years, everybody in Christianity knew you're supposed to go to church. And now all of a sudden you've got people deciding they can do it by themselves. You're foolish. Get in church. Get out of there where God can use you. Get out, get out of your house where God can use you and warn men of the dangers of the judgment to come and of the wrath of God. And that's our responsibility. And so let's do it. Amen? Can, can somebody put an amen in there? Hallelujah. So, this eternal torment of fire and brimstone called the wine of the wrath of God will be poured upon those who commit this great sin of worshiping the beast. His is a very solemn message. This angel is preaching a very solemn message. Um, it... The consequences of this awful sin involved will be so terrible that God will send an angel to repeatedly warn men during this period of worshiping the beast. So all the time that people are worshiping the beast, they're worshiping the false prophet, they're worshiping the image of the beast. That You remember we read that Satan will cause that image to speak and people will start worshiping it. Does it remind you? Of, of, of paintings that weep and paintings that cry blood and thousands flock to the place to worship this. But at the same time they're doing that, there will be angels flying through the heavens warning them to stop, warning them to repent, warning them what's going to happen to them if they persist. What a picture. The three angels will give their messages in order for ample warning to be given so that people can still make the right choice to turn to Jesus. And they happen about the same period of time, which is about the middle of the tribulation period. The 144,000, as we said, are caught up to heaven as the man-child to be with the Lamb. 
those who do not take the mark, those who do not worship the beast at this time will receive severe persecution. An exhortation and a word of encouragement is given in verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And so, basically the commandments of God for the Christian era is found in Jesus. In other words, when you put your faith in Jesus, His Holy Spirit's going to do such a work in you that you're not going to want to commit murder. You're not going to want to steal. You're not going to want to lie. You're not going to want to uh, take your neighbor's wife or husband. You're not going to want to do these things because the Holy Spirit is going to put a different want to in your heart when you get born again. Let's read Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Again, there's going to be great persecution during the great tribulation. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. That goes back to what I said. There is labor in this. We need to be sharing our faith with people. And don't say, well, that's not my personality. I can't do that. Yes, you can. The Holy Spirit will change your personality if you'll let Him. The Holy Spirit created us all to interact. He created nobody to hide in a cave. And so as we yield to the Spirit of God, He does the work. We just obey Him out of a natural situation because He's done the work within us. But here is the time when the dead and the Lord during the great tribulation will rest from their labors and their works do follow them. In other words, they're going to receive a reward. John heard a great voice from heaven following the messages of the three angels telling him to write the account of which he was to write concerns the dead that died hereafter. I.e., in other words, during the great tribulation of the last three and a half years. And remember, I told you earlier, we break the tribulation down into two sections of three and one half years. The first being tribulation, and the second being the great tribulation, because that's when the Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel, and he emerges as the Antichrist in the middle of Daniel's 70th week. These here will have been martyred because they would not worship the beast and his image or receive his mark. And they're also referred to in Revelation 7, verses 9 through 17. Revelation 13, verses 5 through 7, and also verse 15. Revelation 15, verses 2 through 4, and Revelation 20, verse 4. This message is given for encouragement during severe trials. And so I want to stop right there and throw this in. You know, we're all kind of bent this way, that when we're under trial, we think that the answer to that, the encouragement for that, is for the trial to cease, right? But it's not going to happen here. Their trials are going to continue. Their encouragement comes from the fact that they possess a person 
Jesus Christ. And I got to stop here and I got to say this to you. Jesus is enough. If God never did another thing for any of us except send Jesus to die on the cross that all who put their faith in Him must be saved or might be saved, can be saved. If that's all He ever did, it's enough. And there's peace in that and there's joy in that and there's long-suffering in that and there's all of the fruit of the Spirit and all of the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus... It's all about Jesus. We, we preach about Jesus. We teach about Jesus. We worship Jesus. We lift up Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And for the true believer, Jesus is enough. Amen. And amen. Let's go on to the 14th verse in Revelation 14. 14, and I looked and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Hallelujah. The Son of Man seen sitting on a cloud. This will be... This is a... An indication that he will shortly be coming to the earth. The passage that we just read, Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20, reminds me of one of the parables of the wheat, the tares, and the dragnet. And you can find this in Matthew 13, uh, verses 24 through 30, and verses 36 through 43, and also verses 47 through 50. The reference is to a future time uh, to this message in Revelation in some respects. The parables are interesting because they apply to us every day, but they also apply to a future time here in the book of Revelation. And um, <clears throat> the Son of Man is to reap this harvest that we see pictured in these verses. He will execute judgment on the people represented by this figure. But this is not the case with the tribulation saints. So the, again, this is for ungodly people, those who have worshipped the beast. Secondly, this sharp sickle is the same that is mentioned in the book of Joel, chapter 3, verses 9 through 14, and it pictures the destruction of the host who are coming against Israel during the time of Armageddon. Therefore, the scene that we read about here um, must involve Armageddon. 
and not necessarily righteous martyrs. The martyrs are gathered to the Lord right away immediately and will go to the judgment seat of Christ. This is why I believe the judgment seat of Christ takes place during the entire seven years of tribulation while the wrath of God is being poured out on the earth. The saints who have gone to heaven and the saints who die during the tribulation and go instantly to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus will receive their rewards at that time. And then we'll come to the great white throne judgment, which is after Armageddon, after the, the second coming, the Armageddon coming of Christ. And the only ones who will be at the great white throne will be sinners. Those who are not born again. Those who do not know Jesus. Okay? It's apparent from this expression, time has come for thee to reap, that Christ has, to this point, delayed reaping. But now, vengeance must be taken on them that dwell on the earth, as was foretold by the prophets. Isaiah 34, 8. Isaiah 59, 17. Isaiah 61, 2. 63, 4. Jeremiah 46, 9 through 10. And first, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. So, we see this as a thrusting forth of the sickle of judgment of Christ into the earth. And he reaps and he judges those who are wicked. In verses 17 through 20, another angel is pictured as coming out of, the, out of heaven. This vision is of the vine of the earth and carries the same theme. The harvest of the earth. Anticipating the future battle of Armageddon. God, Jesus Christ, defeats his foes at the battle of Armageddon. Satan will not win. He, he, he will be trodden underfoot and judged and cast into the lake that burneth with fire. Both the Antichrist and the false prophet. Okay. The vine of the earth will be cast down into the great winepress of the wrath of God. This will take place outside of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the battle of Armageddon will be fought in that same area. Blood will flow out of the wine press even to the horse's bridle. Reference here is to the destruction of those nations when blood will flow. Revelation 19, 11 through 21. Isaiah chapter 34, verses 1 through 8. Chapter 63, verses 1 through 5. Joel 3, 1 through 21. Ezekiel 38 and 39, which is the Gog and Magog war, will also be a reaping when God destroys his enemies. We believe that war in Ezekiel 38 and 39 could start even before the rapture, um, but we will still not be yet in the Great Tribulation period. Ezekiel 38 and 39 is a study all of its own, and it actually it, it could start before the rapture, and there's, in, there's reasons why scripturally. And also, it could go into the beginning stages of the book of, uh, I'm sorry, of the Great Tribulation period. Um, the Bible is not really super clear on the timing of that war of Gog and Magog. But we believe that most likely it will start before the rapture, and the rapture could very possibly, or probably even, take place during the time of Ezekiel 38 and 39. You can also read Zechariah 14, 121, Jude 14 and 15. And so that brings us to the end uh, of chapter 14. And let's get on with chapter 15. I may or may not be able uh, 
to get through this whole thing today. We will do our best. Um, but we, we'll start now at Revelation 15.1. Let me get a drink of water. Again, it's, it's John's vision. I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. So the literal translation of the word angel here from the Greek is messenger. Okay, and we've already dealt with that. Uh, let's keep reading. I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb saying... Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Hallelujah. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. And that took us through uh, verses 2, 3, and 4 of the 15th chapter. Of Revelation, and what we're actually seeing here is another parenthetical uh, expression in the book. The sea of glass uh, is the same one that John saw when he was caught up to heaven in Revelation chapter four, verses one through six. This is an actual pavement before the throne, which is like unto crystal mingled with fire. This area is right now during the time of Revelation fifteen, occupied by tribulation martyrs. In Romans, uh, in uh, Revelation chapter four, it was unoccupied when John saw it. So he sees it at two different time frames. Um, the sea of glass must be indescribably beautiful. Its population embraces saints who have harps of God, who sing the song of Moses and the Lamb, because they are victorious and has have been resurrected. There is no explanation as to the exact words of the Song of the Lamb, but undoubtedly its theme is one of victory. This is the sixth parenthetical passage in Revelation. The position is shown of those who gain victory over the beast. And let me just say this, and we'll leave that section. Uh, victory, they were martyred, right? So the Antichrist had them executed. But God said they had victory over the beast. Praise the Lord. It's just a beautiful illustration that shows us that faith is not the absence of problems. Faith serves Jesus through problems. And if you will do that, you'll come out victorious too. Whatever actually you know, happens to you in the flesh, your victory is in Christ. And so hold on to Christ with everything you have and never let go. In Revelation 15 verses 5 through 8 we see this. And after that I looked <clears throat> and behold the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues. So these, these plagues are about to be poured out upon the earth. 
clothed the, the, the seven angels clothed in pure and white linen, that speaks of righteousness, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. So after the vision of the tribulation saints upon the sea of glass, the vision of these seven angels and the heavenly tabernacle picks back up again. The temple in heaven is mentioned 12 times in the book of Revelation. There is every indication that this temple is absolutely literal and that God sits on an absolutely literal throne. As proof that the temple of heaven is literal, we recall both the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon. It says, the Bible says they were patterned after the temple in heaven. You can read Exodus 25 verse 9, also verse 40. Numbers chapter 8 verse 4. 1 Chronicles 28, 11 through 19, Hebrews 8, verse 5, and 9, verse 23. The same words which are used of an earthly temple or tabernacle are also used of the heavenly one. Okay, so these things are literally in heaven. We see here in this passage in Revelation that the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. When Solomon dedicated the temple, God's presence came and filled the place, and it was full of the glory of the Lord. And this glory appeared like a cloud. It was visible. It was tangible until the priest could no longer stand to minister. Read 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. The similarity is noted in this heavenly temple, of which the other is a replica. So John saw the temple in heaven filled with the smoke of the glory of God. What an awesome sight that's going to be. Another reference is made here to the four beasts, <clears throat> one of which gave the golden vials to the seven angels. These uh, beasts, or living creatures as they could be translated, um, are the same ones that are discussed in Revelation chapter 4 verses 5 through 8. And I had another thought that come into my mind. That's why I hesitated there a little bit. Can you imagine the beauty and the glory of what heaven is going to be like? You're going to see these awesome living creatures. You're going to see the temple of God filled with the glory of God. You're going to be in the pure glory. You know... Somebody said, you know, can, can we go to heaven in our physical bodies? I don't believe that we ever could. I, you know, the two that didn't die in the Bible, Elijah and Enoch, the Bible says God took them up. He translated them before He got them in because I believe the glory is so strong. It would be, it would be way more than our human bodies and minds could understand and bear up under the glory of God. You remember when God told Moses he was going to walk by? He said, you have to hide in the, in the cliff, but you can see my backside, but I cannot let you see my face, my glory. It would be too much for you. We would be atomized on the spot. And that's why we, have, we, receive, uh, we receive glorified bodies 
once we get to heaven. Amen. In the resurrection, we are on the earth. We come back with Christ at the end of the battle of Armageddon. We will be in glorified bodies. And we will know the full force of the glory of God. You think of that. We are limited today in what we can experience. But it, for all those who die in Christ, those limits will be removed for all of eternity. That is so powerful. So following this, the seven vials or bowls of wrath are going to be poured out upon the earth. And no man will be able to enter the temple until the seven days are completed. In verse 8 it says, uh, or the seven uh, bowls of wrath, the seven vile judgments. And these angels go forth and pour the vials of wrath upon the earth indicating that they know exactly what to do and when to do it. God doesn't leave anything to chance, folks. He completes what He's going to complete. And it's, it's already written down. And when God tells one of the holy angels to carry something out, they instantly go to obey Him and to carry out His directive. What a wonderful, wonderful God we serve. Even in His judgment, even in His judgment, He is motivated by love. You've got to understand that. Somebody asked, can God condemn a soul to hell and justify Himself in doing so? Listen, He didn't have to save any of us. Your Bible reads the same as mine where it says God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come unto the knowledge of the truth but all do not come. So in essence, they send themselves to hell. In essence. But I praise God. Salvation is available to all who will come to Christ. And once again, as we close this 15th chapter of the book of Revelation, I want to encourage you, Christian. Ask God to give you a heart to share your faith. Ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit afresh and anew that your heart would literally burn within you to tell people about Jesus while there is still time to do so. Oh, the hour's late. The hour is late. Father, thank You for this time of teaching as we covered these chapters in Revelation today. Father, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice, myself included, Lord God, that You would break us and remake us into this vessels of service that You would desire us to be. Father, overcome our pride. Overcome our embarrassments. Overcome our rebellion. Father God, overcome our own thinking processes that we put so much stock and confidence in. And Father, give us instead the mind of Christ. Cause us to see what is real and what is important. Father, put your Spirit within us to cause us to be obedient to your words. As we go forth from this place, let us reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ that is able to provide eternal salvation. And Lord, we thank You for it all in Jesus' name, giving Jesus all the praise and all the glory. 
and everybody would say amen and amen. And so as we close this today, I'm really, I really had, I've been having a great time teaching uh, through the book of Revelation. Primarily what we're doing, let me say it again, um, <clears throat> the sheer volume of material makes this such a daunting task that I feel ill-equipped at times to be able to do it. So I, I have decided to limit myself uh, for the purposes of this series to you and I reading the book of Revelation together. There's a blessing in that. The scripture says so. Amen. Reading it together, giving you somewhat of an outline in a, in a way, you know, breaking the scriptures down into sections, giving you some Greek words and hitting some nuggets and high points along the way. I encourage you, please hear Brother Paxton, I encourage you to study this book for yourself and you're going to come across conflicting opinions. Um, but if you study under sound theological fundamental people who believe the truth of the gospel, there is room for different, differing opinions on some of the ambiguous uh, writing and also some of the non-essentials. Um, pick up some books, you know, pick up some books by uh, Perry Stone, David Jeremiah, Greg Laurie. Uh, I don't think Pastor Jack Hibbs has, I think maybe he has a book on marriage out, but I don't think he has any prophecy ones, I'm not sure. But you can listen to the audio of people reputable teachers teaching Bible prophecy and it will fill in a lot of these blank spots when we get all the way through this series I'm going to try to start from the beginning and go to the end in an outline form to kind of fill in some of the gaps of where this takes place and where that takes place and we're getting a lot of that right now and the understanding of the parenthetical passages, etc., and so forth. So this is going to be a great series. We have a lot left to do. We have from chapter 16 through chapter 22. And until the next time that you and I can come together and gather around the Word of God, this is Evangelist Len Paxton saying, Go with God, and He will go with you. Bless you.